The following program is an interview and discussion whose sole purpose was to better understand from a cultural perspective an unprecedented and what may prove to be historic situation as it was unfolding. Neither the producer, nor the host, nor the guest are financial services professionals. Nothing in this episode should be interpreted as investment advice. No investment decisions should be made from listening to the content of this program. Listeners should always practice their own careful due diligence before making any investment decision. You're listening to Interview Time. At 11.57 a.m. on Wednesday, February 24th, six days after the House Committee on Financial Services held a public hearing on the GameStop trade, activist GameStop investor Ryan Cohen tweeted a cryptic photo of a McDonald's soft-serve ice cream cone with a frog emoji. The stock price jumped from $44.70 to $91.71 a share, and $30 million worth of trades happened in the final hour of the market that day. On Thursday the 25th, the stock soared to a daily high of $183 a share, and 145 million shares were exchanged in the heaviest day of trading since January 26th. Within 24 hours of Cohen's tweet, GameStop had gained roughly $4.4 billion in value. My guest, philosopher Justin Horn, returns to discuss the evolution of the GameStop trade, the fallout from the congressional hearings, the real meaning of Cohen's ice cream cone, and how social media and newfound accessibility for retail investors is creating a disruptive era of volatility and opportunity in the stock market. Justin Horn, welcome back to Interview Time. It is my pleasure to be back with you once again. At the time of this recording, uh, GameStop is at $120 a share. Do you still hold a position in GameStop? You better believe I do. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, uh, as I said in our last interview, uh, I was of the opinion that the rise in price that we saw before there was not due to a short squeeze, as many news pieces uh, in the media have suggested. Instead, I think that that rise in price was a combination of some gamma squeeze action, that is option makers purchasing more shares to hedge against the potential that they will have to deliver on exercised options that come into the money, combined with uh, retail excitement about the stock generated through social media and the obvious spotlight that GameStop received as it's price started to rise dramatically. With that in mind, going through February, you know, the stock price, it, it at the end of January had hit a high, I think, of a $438 and then had plummeted down to about, I think it was in the $40 range. Yeah, for 483 I believe, was the high. And uh, down down to prices below $40, I think I saw 38 at one point there in our a uh, three-week walk in the desert. <laughs> Did you ever think at the time, like, maybe the squeeze had been squoze already? Obviously, you're going to do some questioning uh, after you have uh, watched unrealized profits of 90% of your position evaporate and uh, see the price maintain, you know, in the in that level for weeks. 
of course i asked myself as i'm sure many holders of the stock did it's like is was this all a big mistake was i fooling myself you know maybe is it possible that the shorts really did cover their positions somehow and that this was all you know that, that i've i've fooled myself somehow in in you know making this particular investment play yeah i asked myself those questions sure however the answers that i all came back to is that i personally saw evidence of you know a lot of wall street connected media publications pushing out articles very negative sentiment on gamestop when you say towards gamestop do you mean gamestop corporation itself or the gamestop situation or both i guess uh mostly focused on the the stock rather than the company any mentions of the company were generally in service of advising retail traders to stay away from this stock it's dangerous and and i will say this look if if you don't know what's going on with gamestop and you're just seeing the price rising up and you're just going to jump on and think well everybody's making the price go up and so i should jump in and get in on some of that price action and then i'll sell it off higher like don't do that <laughs> don't don't do that <laughs> please <laughs> for everyone's sake including your own don't make you know investment decisions with your money that you don't understand am i telling people not to buy GameStop? absolutely not i'm just saying understand what you're doing and what you're getting into before you make any decisions and again I'm long on GameStop. I did not sell one single share <laughs> through since I've last talked to you or since we were at the high. And I've actually increased my position since then because uh, I had call options expiring in the money last Friday. Uh, and I, I exercised an option. I now hold 100 more shares than I did before. But again, I've been following the story and the situation on the GameStop stock with laser focus since November. Well, not with laser focus since November, but I've been following it since November and very keenly focused on it since January. Given the theses I have about the stock, mostly regarding the fact that I do not believe that the shorts have covered their positions, despite their repeated insistence in multiple media articles <laughs> yeah and in fact i think we had data come out that shows that melvin capital and i believe citadel and a number of other hedge funds do have very sizable positions in options at least that are short on gamestop now that's different from having short shares borrowed but it definitely suggests that they do still have a strong belief that the stock is going to be at a lower price point in the future. So they still think someday this is all going to die down and the short sell is going to work. Is that what you're saying or are you saying something else? Well, I'm not going to, I can't comment with any certainty. Certainly not. Certainly About not. what positions the hedge funds have. And sure. those put options that you know, we're the focus of a, of one of many Reddit posts on this uh, uh, today, and you know there are you know dozens of them every day that uh, that get released on both Wall Street Bets and the 
newly created GME subreddit. Uh, what is going on with this new GME subreddit? As I suggested last time, maybe a little bit less strongly because I was less sure about it at that point, that uh, I thought that perhaps the the hedge funds that were short on GameStop were using every tool in their arsenal to uh, convince people not to buy it and to sell what they were holding to get them out of their bind that uh, they're in if they do indeed still have short positions on GameStop. And I'm more confident now than I was then that they that they do. And among the techniques that I think that they've used uh, over the past couple of weeks is to spread negative sentiment with hired accounts in in the, the Wall Street Bet subreddit. And that that's been going on for weeks. Can I prove this beyond, you know, with with absolute certainty? No, but I've I do have a habit when I see posts or comments from Reddit users that seem like they might be fear, uncertainty and doubt based comments or posts. I will click on the user and look at how old the Reddit account is and go into their comment history and just kind of take a look and see what I'm seeing. And what are you seeing? Well, I see a lot of new accounts and I see a lot of accounts that have been totally inactive for over a year, suddenly coming back and commenting furiously about why people should get out of GameStop stock investments. And that seemed suspicious to me. Uh, and it, you know, they they weren't all like that. Uh, there were some, you know, negative comments from who were clearly real Reddit users uh, and active Reddit users. And it's worth noting that at the congressional hearings, the CEO of Reddit said that their investigation found that there was no evidence of of bots or fake accounts being used. But I did find it interesting that many of these same accounts that were commenting negatively about GameStop were also ones pushing all these other meme stocks that the media then would pick up stories about these other stocks and how Reddit users are pushing this now and that like they're finished with GameStop and on to the next big squeeze so is that something that you actually looked into you you've seen let's say a, an account on reddit and it's pushing maybe another meme stock and you went in there and you clicked in and you saw like oh wow like that hasn't been active for a couple of years and now all of a sudden it's excited about yes this. and the other thing that i've you know i've been tracking these meme stocks as well i haven't been invested in them because uh as said, I suspect that all of the fervor around these other stocks is, if not entirely generated by, at least largely amplified by, uh, you know, Reddit users either, you know, directly working for the hedge funds or, or contracted by them to come in and, and push these other issues. And because one, it paints the users of Wall Street bets in a kind of a bad light. And because all of these other meme stocks have looked like 
pump and dump schemes where somebody hypes up the stock and the retail investors get excited and everybody jumps in and then all of a sudden it just crashes right back down again and a lot right. of retail investors get left holding the bag and it reinforces the narrative out there that these like what you i'm sorry what you just said but it reinforces the narrative out here like you see like it's a pump and duck scheme there's there's no fundamentals here there's no pump and dumps but i know that you believe that gamestop is is different it's not totally this is in my opinion a a unique probably once in a lifetime event and you know an ongoing once in a lifetime event and it's this perfect storm and and all of those other ones are you know pretenders <laughs> when you compare right. them against the the situation in gme and i i think that all of those have been actively pushed by people who do not want to see the gme short squeeze succeed so because of that and because there is suspect there's suspicion of sort of foul play is that what has now pushed people over to this gme subreddit this new GME well, subreddit? yeah that's i think was the the sort of impetus behind its creation because wall street bets was just getting flooded with these people just you know mocking anyone who would post anything about gme and pushing all of these other what I take to be pump and dump schemes. And there have been no shortage of them. You know, to any any folks invested in these companies, this is this is just my opinion. And if you believe in your investment theses with regard to those companies, that's great. I wish you luck. But insofar as I think that they're, you know, kind of part of a team with GameStop, I think that that is exactly what the people who don't want the GameStop short squeeze to succeed would like to see happen. And you had AMC, you had BlackBerry, Nokia, you had the all of the weed stocks, the marijuana stocks. That was a big thing for and they they jumped up crazy amounts for like a day or two and then came crashing back down again. Uh right. presumably to the lining the pockets of the folks on Wall Street who are for tempting people into these other sort of here's another get rich quick vehicle right and then there was the that's the silver squeeze that reddit users are trying to manipulate the silver prices and most recently as of this morning it's rocket mortgage rocket mortgage jumped by 70 percent today uh and i think i saw it mentioned on wall street bets once and since I've started following that subreddit in the last year, now again, I maybe I've maybe there was a whole rocket mortgage thing going on for a long time. I just missed it, but that was not my impression. And uh, I think that that's just the next one in line after all of these other schemes that that these folks have tried to attract attention away from GME to these other stocks. But the really notable thing about it is how quickly uh, the Reddit communities that are pro GME, like they they sniff this out easily, and the, and you also have wherever you see these guys in uh, the comment threads or posting stuff, you have tons of GME people just calling them out, like like get out of here with this. You're trying to you know. You're trying to trick me 
and you clearly right. want me to get away from GME and into this other stuff, and it's not going to work. I'm holding my GME shares, and you know, better luck next time. Try again, hedgies. <laughs> and you brought up something last time that I thought was kind of interesting, and you said that in a sense too that Wall Street bets pulled off this incredible you know, GameStop situation. It was pulled off. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity, but now they've given away their position. Like, if you thought about this as a that's a battle a war or a battle, uh, which some people certainly do. Now the enemy knows where you are, and um, maybe now they're breaking off. The really hardcore GME investors have kind of their own safer space now to talk about it or something. Well, and you know, it's uh, even there. There's no safe haven, right? I mean, because sure. like now you're starting to see the same thing happen in the GME subreddit. And I mean, there were, there are people coming in there in the last 24 hours, posting all these posts about rocket and how you get into rocket. You know, you want to go to the moon. Well, this is rocket. So get on it. It's called a rocket. You know, Hey, the, the meme temptation is strong. I, I hear you, but it's like, and people in the subreddit are like, Dude, this is a GameStop subreddit. It's in the name yeah. of the sub- why are you coming in here talking about other stocks in the GameStop subreddit? Like unless you really, really want us to not pay attention to GameStop and look at something else. <laughs> and all of that just further confirms my thesis that these guys wouldn't be doing this stuff. You wouldn't see this amount of negative attention on GameStop and all of this effort to convince people that for your own safety please we're begging you sell the stock before it's too late you might lose even more money and it's like come on dude (laughs) it is also kind of illuminating though because of the there's really like a sense of a conflict going on because the stakes are so high the stakes are very high resorting to you know tactics like disinformation campaigns and it's all being waged in the in the stock market and And i'm I'm not a historian of of the stock market by any stretch of the imagination but i i wonder if this is a somewhat unique situation i believe that it is and i'm i'm no expert historian of the stock market either but given the facts surrounding this particular potential short squeeze and i'd like to point out once again that you said like that in our last interview i may have said like they've pulled off the you know a a great coup in doing this but even though that will remain true no matter what happens from here on out it remains the case that that the 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 short squeeze has not been squoze as they like to say on reddit (laughs) I wanted to talk about a couple of key dates that have occurred. The last time we talked, we talked on uh, after, you know, there was the key date of January 29th when Robinhood uh, restricted the buying of GameStop shares for a day. And then there were, of course, congressional hearings called. So on February 18th, uh, the House Committee on Financial Services held public hearings on the GameStop trades. Uh, Gabe Plotkin from Melvin Capital, Ken Griffin from Citadel, Vlad Tenev from Robinhood, and Keith Gill, aka Deep Fucking Value from Wall Street Bets, uh, all testified uh, about their various or their different roles in the trade. 
And I wanted to ask you, because you are someone who has followed this story with a laser-like focus, do you think we learned anything new in these hearings? Or was it just a elaborate political theater? Uh, I think you can always learn something new from paying attention to what's going on. Uh, so, for one, I really enjoyed watching that hearing. That was the most entertaining congressional hearing I have ever seen by far. <laughs> <laughs> and I will all, I'll also mention sort of in a broad conclusions, it does seem that the general tenor of the the folks on the Congress side of that hearing, uh, obviously many of whom disagree with each other about a lot of other things, it was really interesting to see uh, a great deal of sort of bipartisanship in support of retail investors and uh, a, a sort of also a bipartisan uh, ire at the brokers like Robinhood that suspended trading and the hedge funds like Citadel who were short on the stock and like Melvin Capital. So did we learn anything new? Uh, I think we did. For one, Gabe Plotkin in his testimony at one point suggested, as I did earlier in this interview, that the rise in price in January was not due to shorts covering. It was due to options, uh, gamma squeeze action, market makers hedging their, their call options coming into the money and increased uh, media attention through social media, uh, driving higher levels of retail buying. So that's pretty much saying that that was not a short squeeze. It was maybe a gamma squeeze and, and some hype, but it was not the short squeeze that the mainstream media then went on to report for the so next couple of So it was proof that weeks. the squeeze had not been squoze. Evidence. 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 Strong evidence. <laughs> the squeeze had not been squoze. Uh, it was evidence at least that Melvin Capital did not believe that the squeeze had been squeezed. What did you think about Deep Fucking Value's testimony? I thought his testimony was fantastic. And I'll say that I'm not neutral towards Keith Gill, Deep Fucking Value, or Roaring Kitty, however you want to call him. Especially after watching that hearing, uh, you can't help but love this guy. I mean, he is just a, such a... a a lovable character in this in this GameStop drama and I thought that his prepared remarks were excellent in basically pointing out that he is not trying to manipulate anyone he's not trying to manipulate the stock prices he's not trying to give financial advice to anyone or investing advice to anyone all he did was take a large long position in GameStop over a year and a half ago buying a lot of shares of GameStop and call options in GameStop expiring long term and maintain that position and occasionally discuss his thoughts about the company and its future which he thinks is bright uh, on a variety of social media platforms uh, as you know lots of people do and just like lots of people, you might talk with their friends about what 
stocks they're investing in or what they like and just trading ideas in a public forum uh discussing what they what companies they like and what they want to invest in and that, and he's exactly right that 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 is exactly what he's done and uh anybody that's trying to suggest otherwise i would advise you to uh, raise an eyebrow at that because this guy's clearly done nothing wrong except be very 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 right about the undervaluation of gamestop's uh stock price also he you know has kind of given some nods to his his many many fans on wall street bets uh opening his statement with a reference to the recent i am not a cat meme the the <laughs> lawyer in court who forgot to turn off his zoom filter and looked like a cat he, he made reference to that in the very and his youtube name is roaring kitty and his well. youtube name is roaring kitty so it was entirely topically appropriate and there was a picture of a cat hanging on a rope and it said hang in there uh on the whiteboard behind <laughs> hang in him there as well yeah I would just say that I was struck uh, by his testimony because it, it was so well thought out. It was clear. And then the other thing I would say, in contrast to pretty much everybody else on the day, uh, it was authentic and it was straightforward. Oh, yeah. And he and was he was just stark he just contrast to stark. everyone else. And then if, yeah, <laughs> and then you watch every single other person get interviewed. Maybe not so much uh, the Reddit. Um, the reddit guy he he, he was didn't fine but it was like very was, polished you know yeah. it was very like it's a poly he was the only one who had like depth of field photography going on uh the reddit um it's a CEO. CEO. And, and whoever the the gal was from the cato institute sure who was sort of our, our resident market expert right and but if but if i think that that in terms if we were going to say that this was political theater which is not necessarily a bad thing i think that the big star of the show that night was probably keith gill and it's because he came out and he just was speaking perfectly straightforward he was telling the truth he had the the demeanor of someone who has absolutely nothing to hide and then it was just really kind of powerful to then see like everybody else like just evasive squirming squirming <laughs> uncomfortable uh clearly reading off of teleprompters uh clearly stalling for time and right. trying to eat up the question time so they could avoid the questions uh and you know that's pretty common at congressional hearings i think sometimes but it, it like it really did stand in stark contrast to to gill's testimony in which he seemed authentic and a uh you know a deeply convinced believer in a bullish future for GameStop and and on that note uh one of the congressmen uh interviewing Mr. Gill asked him okay so actually the uh, business channels had a good question from one of the reddit readers which is so you recommended uh GameStop uh before would you buy their stock now at roughly 45? It started at 48 earlier today. You were talking about buying it and being happy uh, when it hit cross 20. So are you buying that stock today? Well, let me just say that investing can be risky. And my particular approach to investing is rather aggressive and may not be suitable for anyone else. But for me personally, yes. <laughs> So, yes or no, are you buying the stock? And For me personally, yes, I do find it's an attractive 
investment at this price point. <laughs> and you could see that it, it seemed like the, the Senator Huizinga was trying to get Keith Gill in kind of a gotcha moment there and was expecting him probably to squirm a little bit and say that he was kind of feeling uncomfortable about really being committed to the stock still being a good buy at these levels. But anyone watching that interview would have no doubt that that Keith Gill was being 100% truthful there and saying, yeah, he really does think that the stock at these levels is still underpriced and would buy it today at these levels. And went on the, the following day to double down on his GameStop share position. He had prior to the congressional interview held 50,000 shares of GameStop stock. And the following day after the market closed on Friday, he posted an update to his GME YOLO <laughs> ongoing position posts uh, over time. And uh, the, the screenshot that he shared showed that instead of 50,000 shares, as he had had in his last update, he now had 100,000 shares. Now, that's, a, that's a approximately $2 million worth of GameStop stock that he bought into. And, and Reddit went nuts. <laughs> it was very interesting just on a human level to see Keith Gill, who, you know... <laughs> You're talking about like kind of an everyman figure sit in front of Congress, like which would be I if somebody called me to testify before Congress, I would be absolutely petrified. And he sat there with poise and dignity and authenticity and told his story and he had nothing to hide in stark contrast to Vlad Tenev, who had yeah. his defining moment a couple weeks earlier. Well, how did you think Vlad Tenev? I wanted to ask you about one comment he made because they asked him straight up. Why did Robinhood restrict the buying, but not the selling of GameStop? And why did folks get locked out on the buy side only? Ranking member McHenry, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to address that. Uh, the reason that Robinhood First of all, let me say Robinhood is always committed to providing access. It's in our name. It's in everything that we do. Uh, the decision to restrict GameStop and other securities was driven purely by deposit and collateral requirements imposed by our clearinghouses. So uh, buying, uh, but, but, buying, but why, securities why, is, buying securities why, pieces are buying. requirements. Selling does not. Moreover, uh, preventing customers from selling is a very difficult and painful experience where customers are unable to access their money. So we don't want to impose that type of experience on our customers unless we have no other choice. And even though I recognize customers were very upset and disappointed that we had to do this, I imagine it would have been significantly worse if we prevented customers from selling uh, let's be crystal clear. That decision you made to restrict the buying but not the selling of GameStop was based what was it based on pressure from anyone on the witness panel here today? Not at all. Zero pressure from anyone. It was a collateral depository requirement decision made by our Robinhood Securities president. 
if I understand the situation correctly, from what I saw in the congressional hearing, Vlad Tenev's argument was that I, my hands were tied. I had no choice but to do these things because the DTCC came to me in the middle of the night and said, you know, you are undercapitalized and you're at big risk and we're going to start liquidating your assets if you don't come up with enough money to be properly capitalized for the risk that you're at here. It also, from his testimony, emerged that the either him or his team had some kind of a discussion with the DTCC and they decided that he could have lower capital requirements. I think they went from something like $3 billion and then it landed finally at $700 million. And I think that decision came after he said that he would restrict buying. Right. The $700 million capital requirement was, you know, came with a caveat that you know, we, we can we can set it at seven million or seven hundred million if you don't right. allow retailer users to purchase any more shares of that stock. And I'd be interested to know whose idea that was, especially because it seems to me that if I also understand this correctly, that if a short squeeze happens and buyers in short positions are forced to buy at market prices, ever increasing to perhaps ludicrous levels, levels high enough that they their debt bankrupts the, the, the people who are short on it, the hedge funds that are short on GameStop, and their debt exceeds the total of their assets. Well, what, what happens then? As, as I understand it, the responsibility for covering that debt then goes to the clearinghouse, who then has to pay it. And if they right. go bankrupt, then the next person in line is the, is the DTCC themselves. The DTCC has a lot of assets, uh, and I believe also a lot of insurance. Uh, I'm not absolutely sure on the, the numbers of their insurance, but I've seen numbers in the in the tens of trillions of dollars worth of insurance to cover a situation like that but if somehow the price has got if the the holders of the stock demanded truly exorbitant and very very large sums of money and had people forced to buy them uh you could see the price go high enough that that it could run through those hedge funds and clearing houses into the DTCC too. And it makes me want to get senators to ask questions about like, well, how is it that both of these entities who may be on the, because I, I believe Citadel is Robin Hood's clearing house, but also their biggest customer, uh, which means if, if they go down, that's going to be very, very bad for, Robin Hood's business model. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm not sure if Robin Hood themselves have any liability. And I think it's important to point out that Citadel is essentially the reason why Robin Hood has commission-free trades, I believe, because they charge companies like Citadel for order flow. Selling the order flow, right, to sell the information of the retail. Now, it's true that it's illegal for Citadel to trade ahead of of traders they they basically 
have to guarantee that retail traders whose order flow they place will get the best possible price for their trade that that can be got. Right. I think that there's obvious potential for market makers to use information about retail order flow to make a lot of money. Otherwise, they wouldn't they wouldn't be paying sure. so much money to get it. So I think that's something that Congress ought to look at. But I'm not necessarily I don't necessarily think that it's definitely a bad thing because, you know, on the in in Robin Hood's defense, they that business model had has allowed commission free trading to become a thing and a mm. thing that is now industry standard as as Vlad Tenev repeatedly tried to emphasize during the hearing. Mm. Um even when that was not the topic of what was supposed to be discussed. <laughs> uh, so I don't necessarily think payment for order flow is a bad thing. And, and this is another point I'd like to make about that hearing is I think that the Congress was focused far too much on the issue of payment for order flow and yeah. not at all enough on the kinds of tactics that can be and have been used by hedge funds in the past in documented cases to engage in naked shorting or disguise or manipulate uh, their short positions in ways to uh, manipulate the appearance of smaller short positions than actually existed uh, when the short data came out. I'll give you an example of this that's been a popular item of discussion on both the Wall Street Bets and GME subreddits uh, related to ETFs, uh, exchange-traded funds, which contain GameStop as one of their elements. So let's say you wanted to be short on GameStop, but you didn't want people to think that you were short on GameStop. You wanted to be able to tell Congress that you closed out your short position already and that you're no longer have an open short position on GameStop. Well, let's say you see this ETF over here called XRT, which is like the S&P retail ETF of which GameStop is a, a large holding in that. Well, you short a bunch of shares of the of the ETF. And so you get all these shares, but instead of just directly selling short the ETF shares that you've borrowed directly into the market, instead you take them and you form what's called a creation unit, which is where you gather enough ETF shares to then trade those in for the actual shares of the underlying stock. Okay, so now you've got a short position on this ETF that contains GameStop, you've got all of the underlying stock. And then basically, long story short, you short the ETF and then you get out of the, you close the short position with respect to all the other stocks in the ETF, except for GameStop. And that way you still have short interest on GameStop, but it's under a different label. And the Redditors, of course, you know, sniffed this out as they sniff out everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those guys are like, they're the best detective force in the world. I'm telling you, internet Reddit detectives. These guys are just insanely good at sniffing out information that's out there. And in this case, 
They go and look at the short percentage of XRT. And and all of a sudden it's like, oh, look, the short interest on XRT is at 200%. And it's at like way higher levels than any other ETF out there. Weird. <laughs> so this is one way that hedge funds or, or people that have taken short positions in the past and done so in ways that, you know, they, they want to mislead people or conceal information about this stuff that's not by law supposed to be concealed these are the kinds of questions that congress needs to be asking they need to be asking about the failure to deliver rate on closed shorts when people recall their shares and say i don't want my shares to be lent for shorting anymore they're supposed to come up with those shares and return them within three days and if they're not delivered at that time they then come up as a failure to deliver and of course, there's going to be some times where just, you know, the, the mechanics of the world get in the way and like the the people don't return the shares because they, you know, they didn't get the phone call or something. You know, there's all kinds of reasons that that could get in the way. But failure to deliver rates on GameStop have been very, very high over the past year and remain high. And uh, that's another thing I'd like to see Congress focusing on rather than the discussion of payment for order flow because i i think it's much more important to dig into the illegal activity that may be going on and obviously the sec has an ongoing investigation into this stuff we'll see what they come up with but you know finding the the criminals in my opinion is more important than discussing the merits of this uh, this legal structure for the stock markets to operate under versus that one those conversations are important too but look let's let's get to the bottom of the of the shenanigans and and shady games that are going on if they are indeed going on let's put the focus on that for now and we'll get to the other stuff after that <laughs> that's what i'd like to see personally i want to talk about another key moment in this narrative on wednesday February 24th at 10.57 a.m., Ryan Cohen tweets a cryptic photo of a McDonald's soft-serve ice cream cone with a frog emoji. Uh, $30 million worth of trades happened in the last hour of trading on Wednesday. 145 million shares were traded on Thursday. That's the heaviest day since January 26th, and almost three times uh, more than the average volume over the last month. And within 24 hours, GameStop had gained roughly $4.4 billion in value. What happened? What did the ice cream cone mean? Well, of course, if someone like Ryan Cohen or anybody sort of centrally involved in this saga tweets something that doesn't have any words, and it's just a picture and an emoji, obviously that's going to immediately generate a wealth of speculation about how that's to be interpreted. And I think it's fascinating that you're seeing a lot of people making these kind of tweets like, uh, like Keith Gill as well, uh, tweeting just pictures or clips or memes, but not including text and not sort of explicitly making any kind of assertion, just, you know, tweeting some image, an emoji, and leaving the interpretation of that to the Twitterverse at large. Uh, a lot of people had a variety of suggestions about what that 
emoji and ice cream cone photo meant. For example, I was reading that somebody noticed that when Ryan Cohen had just had his very first meeting with executives at Chewy.com when he was launching that business, they had a really wonderful, friendly strategy meeting. And at the end of it, they all went to McDonald's and had soft serve ice cream cones. And that this was a sign that Ryan Cohen was you know, at the helm behind the scenes and ready to embark on a new journey with GameStop. And I read elsewhere that the frog emoji was a, a symbol of metamorphosis and that the GameStop was undergoing these fundamental changes and, and evolving into a, a new form and that that was the significance of the frog emoji. However, the interpretation, which I think is, in my opinion, the strongest candidate for what, if anything, Ryan Cohen was intending to indicate or suggest by means of that tweet makes reference to a technical trading indicator uh, that's commonly used among technical traders. Technical traders are uh, traders who analyze patterns on the price charts of stocks and use those to glean information about forming or changing trends in the stock's price movement in order to profit from finding good entry and exit points for trades. There's a variety of different technical indicators that get used by different traders. You get 10 different traders, you're gonna have 10 different answers about their special secret sauce of indicators that they like to use to guide their trading behavior. Sure. Uh, but interestingly, the, the more popular an indicator is, the more likely it is that it's going to you know, give results to you because as a bunch of people use the same indicator, it turns into a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that the, the price moves the way that the people using that indicator expect it to because so many of them using that indicator join the movement in that direction. Uh, one of these indicators that's uh, very commonly used is called the moving average convergence divergence indicator. And this is commonly abbreviated as the MACD, which <laughs> I believe is uh, what the McDonald's soft serve ice cream cone is trying to point at the MACD indicator. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time explaining the details of the MACD indicator. There's probably a dozen videos on YouTube. You can just search YouTube for MACD indicator or Google it. Uh, but in, in short, you take moving averages of the price of the stock at a short and a long-term view, and you compare the distance on the chart between those two moving averages and you use that to plot another curve and then you do some fancy math on that curve to get a fourth curve that you've drawn and then you, so you have the MACD and the fancy math derivative is the signal line and you plot the MACD and the signal line and the MACD will typically cross above and below the signal line over time as the price of the stock goes up and down. The way to that technical traders use the MACD indicator is that when it crosses above the signal line, that's a buy signal, a, a 
good entry point, according to the indicator, to purchase the underlying security. And then when it crosses below, that is a sell signal telling you to take your profits on your trade and get out and wait for another buy signal to arrive in the MACD indicator. Now, it just so happens that if you look at the chart on GameStop's price movement, so if you look at the calculate the MACD on GameStop, uh, it turns out that on that very day that Ryan Cohen tweeted that the MACD was just about to cross over the signal line, giving a buy signal on GameStop to technical traders using the MACD indicator. And I think that the frog emoji suggests that it was the MACD is leaping over the signal line because that's what the MACD does. It hops back and forth above and below the signal line. Uh, and that is the significance of the frog emoji in this context. Whether that's absolutely correct or not, I can't say with 100% certainty. Uh, only Ryan Cohen probably could, could give you the answer to that. But uh, that is the only interpretation of that that specifically makes sense only on that particular day, the day which Ryan Cohen tweeted it which was when that signal arrived in the chart. So right, right when he tweeted that, or, or that day, on the MACD chart, the MACD line was leapfrogging above the signal line, which was yeah. signaling to technical investors, buy. Yeah, it was confirming the beginning of a new uptrend in the price of the stock. That's fascinating, um, and I think that that sounds like a pretty remarkable interpretation i am curious though uh you of course i'm assuming didn't put that all together right in those first moments what were you thinking when you first saw well that tweet from ryan cohen uh obviously i i didn't immediately decode that uh on the spot on the day but i did recognize that probably that tweet had something to do with GameStop in particular because he's made tweets before in which he's had uh, a photo paired with an emoji and other interpretations of those tweets have been most plausibly related to GameStop and Ryan Cohen's growing involvement in its leadership. So I took that as a bullish signal and uh, immediately acted to take take up positions which would profit from a rise in GameStop's share price. And uh, I made a fair bit of money that day. So you interpreted it as a bullish signal. Uh, in particular, I also thought that the, the rest of the trading world, upon seeing that tweet, whether or not this was correct, would interpret it as a bullish signal on GameStop thereby driving its price upwards rapidly. Something happened because it did have a, a pretty dramatic rise uh, immediately after after yep. he tweeted that. But you, we also have to be careful about solely attributing the rise sure. in that price movement to the tweet. And uh, there are a lot of media outlets have done that over the past week, saying that it was this cryptic ice cream comb tweet suddenly made the price jump out of nowhere, it's like, well, that might have contributed. I'm, I'm certain it did contribute at least in part to the rise in price that day. But let's not forget that the MACD indicator signaling to technical traders that the trend of the price is moving upwards is an objective fact that existed there 
whether or not Ryan Cohen made that tweet and technical traders paying attention to that may have entered that trade just on the basis of that McD signal on that day, which could have also contributed to the rise in price. And there's a, you know, it's a complex, complicated and interconnected world of fast changing facts, any of which could potentially weigh on traders' opinions about that security. So attributing all of this to a single event is probably uh, a oversimplification. Well, there was also another kind of couple of things that also happened, I believe, also on Wednesday, also related to GameStop, also related to Ryan Cohen. One of them was Jim Bell, the CFO, GameStop. It was announced that he would be leaving by March 26th. Uh, and it was publicly announced and it was publicly stated when it was announced that GameStop and Ryan Cohen was behind all this uh, is going to be finding someone, a, a new chief financial officer that's more in line with his vision for the company, which is to pivot it into an online business. That was one major thing that happened at the same time that could affect the stock That's price. definitely true. And I think that many uh, traders in the GameStop trade also Im interpreted Jim Bell's departure as a bullish signal for GameStop. There was also a report released that day from Citron Research, which was recommending that GameStop purchase eSports Entertainment, um, uh, which also, I think, signals uh, a, a change in direction of the company. Uh, yeah, it's been interesting to see a, a number of people in uh, the mainstream business world uh, spitballing ideas about how GameStop could uh, yeah. transform into the future. Jim Cramer of, of Mad Money fame suggested that uh, they invest a lot of their corporate treasury into Bitcoin and become a, a Bitcoin vendor to their customers <laughs> as well, uh, which was kind of, was, hey, it's creative at least. I don't know if that's the direction <laughs> that they're going to go in. Outside uh, the box thinking. Yeah, but I, there's a lot of outside the box thinking going on with uh, relation to the future of that company and the opportunities it has to grow into the burgeoning gaming industry. You said just a few minutes ago, you said essentially this MACD chart is just stating a, an objective fact. It's, it's signaling a trend upward word to buy let's say you're right about what the tweet meant and it was referencing the, the macd chart uh in which case it's referencing objective information uh so if you're right why do you think ryan cohen needs to share trading signals uh disguised in in cryptic memes is it just for fun is it because it uh, makes it more exciting or is there some well, kind of strategic reason for doing that i think that there are a lot of very wealthy people and institutions that may stand to lose an enormous amount of money depending on what happens with the future of GameStop's trading action. And those people will lash out at Ryan Cohen and they will, if, if they end up losing a lot of money, they will try to accuse Ryan Cohen of market manipulation and they'll probably try to accuse Keith Gill of market manipulation. For my part, I don't think either of them have engaged in market manipulation of any kind. And even if they came out and just directly explicitly tweeted, Hey, the MACD on GameStop's price chart is 
uh, is giving a buy signal right now. Even if they came out and explicitly said that, I don't think that's market manipulation. That's just an observation of an objective fact. Right. Uh, so why do you have to do it in a, in a, in a meme? Be, because they're going to try to accuse him of market manipulation, whether or not that's true. And so what he's doing is limiting his legal liability in that way because he hasn't come right out and asserted anything. And he certainly got plausible deniability that that's what indeed he meant by that. Uh, and it's that's going to protect him against lawsuits that he rightly foresees will be filed against him if GameStop causes a lot of rich people on Wall Street to lose an enormous amount of money. There's been a lot of talk, I'd say since January, the term meme stock has really entered the mainstream lexicon. And it seems to be something that is sort of instantly understood. Um, how does a meme stock work? Well, before you can answer that, we got to at least give some kind of a rough idea of what a meme stock is. What makes something count as a meme stock? And what does that even mean? Uh, give it, it's probably a question worth answering now that the phrase meme stock has been entered into the congressional record. The, the concept of a meme goes back to Richard Dawkins, uh, scientist and philosopher who uh, coined the term as a sort of analogy from a gene. So it, like a gene in your, in your DNA is a sort of a, a little piece of your DNA that is part of a self-replicating process and it's got certain characteristics that if if a particular gene makes uh, the organism that has that gene better suited to survive then that gene will replicate more often than competing genes and and become you know, sort of a successful gene and spread throughout the population and survive and thrive. And Richard Dawkins pointed out that there are other, that that pattern of evolutionary competition and replication uh, could also be applied to ideas. And that like a successful idea that is useful or funny or just memorable can spread and thrive and replicate in the medium of people's minds right and that successful ideas and you know little bits of information that have the right characteristics to be popular and spreadable will replicate from one person who has the idea to other people that they share it with and then other people that they share it with and so on and if it's if it's got characteristics that make it the kind of thing that other people share and uh, spread to other people's minds, then those ones will succeed and uh, thrive into the future uh, over their competition. Uh, this term then sort of got a little bit changed over time and is now used more colloquially to refer to images with text overlays or videos with text overlays uh, that are just, you know, short little audiovisual jokes, basically. But the, but the ones that are successful and are, are funny get shared and spread around and replicate and uh, increase in a competitive 
environment where you know the the resources that they're competing over is our attention right and the the things that we think about and and spend our time considering and and sharing with others so a meme stock i i guess is the idea that these people who are on wall street bets for example or other social media sites uh, often immortalize or illustrate aspects of of recent uh, market action on their favorite stocks with meme videos and, and meme images and they sort of promote and uh entertain and other people that are interested in following these stocks with memes and that kind of generates excitement and interest around those stocks and helps contribute to uh, their success although as many people who have been on wall street bets for long periods of time could tell you like just because something is a meme stock does not guarantee that it's always going to be successful in the marketplace and uh the sort of the meme smiths of the internet are just as happy to make memes uh you know illustrating the the fall of a stock in a in a bearish marketplace as they are and cheering it on in a in a bull run so in a way memes are sort of a method of communicating about a stock. Yeah, I, I, they're just something that sort of has arisen. It, you know, memes permeate many different internet-based communities, and it's you know a very sort of easy way to share and entertain others who are interested in these things on social media hubs. Sure. Uh, and. Uh, because memes are part of internet cultures, they're going to also be parts of internet cultures that are interested in markets and, and, and stock trading and YOLOing their life savings on a single stock bet, if that's what you're into, you know. Uh, but, you know, memes are memes are here to stay in the 21st century. And uh, that's why you now have meme stocks, because you have a with increased access for a, the younger generation to participate in the markets. When they participate in the markets, they're also going to make memes about it because that's what they do. They make memes about everything. I think it's remarkable that we're kind of living in a world now where you had two billionaires, two different billionaires on Twitter. And in the case of Ryan Cohen, adding $4.4 billion of value into the company. And then in, there's the other case of Elon Musk, who was in a Twitter conversation and said something about ETH and you know Bitcoin being a little overvalued. And in the same amount of time, $15 billion vaporized, you know, into thin air. It just disappeared off the value of his stock. And what do you think's going on there? Well, people are maybe concerned that these, you know, these billionaires on Twitter are having outsized effect on market prices with their tweets and they need to be more responsible with what they need to be careful about what they say because it can move whole markets. It's, and I think really, if we have a, a well-informed understanding of where the world is going in the 21st century, we should expect this. I mean, we're moving into a world where communication is easier and more accessible to wider audiences. Uh, 
and it, it can happen instantaneously. And the spread of information around the globe happens much, much faster today. And the fact of the matter is that a, a lot of, if you're a billionaire, then you have an outsized ability to affect facts in the world and, and the state of affairs in the world. And that includes all kinds of states of affairs, which might uh, affect investors' opinions about the values of various securities of all types. So we should expect that markets will move more than they have in the past upon, you know, uh, the communication of opinions or statements by people that have enormous amounts of power and having enormous amounts of money grants you enormous amounts of power uh, in in the world today and pretty much throughout the course of history if you've if you've got a lot of money you can have a lot of influence and you and, also have these kind of instant platforms you have yeah. twitter you don't have to wait to go get an interview with a newspaper or yeah and or, you wait for them to publish write it write a and letter to the edit, it. editor yeah, exactly. You, you, you this have stuff your is own... a, this information is available instantaneously for free to the whole world. But the fact that you're also a billionaire and you already sort of have a a, a, a profile, a certain profile at a level that instantly inflates that platform. It's a much bigger platform for you than it is, say, for you or me. If we get on Twitter, I don't think anybody reads I, anything. I, I write the markets aren't going to move if I tweet something, right? Uh, but. We should expect that. I, I don't have a big Twitter presence, you know. Uh, so, but people that do will be able to do that. I think, like, it's probably worth looking into some specific guidelines because we don't want people to literally be manipulating price markets through what they say. But we also can't constrain their ability to freely communicate and express themselves and again we should expect that uh, that the communication of information from those people is gonna have effects on people's opinions about uh, what things are worth and if you know if you have a different opinion about what something's worth than the market does uh well you know, too bad. <laughs> uh, there's another thing I'd like to say about meme stocks, though, which is worth mentioning, because these have had a lot of attention in the media, especially in the past couple of weeks. Uh, you, alongside GameStop, you've had other uh, securities that the media has been saying that the you know the reddit horde is is following this meme stock now or that meme stock and these have included a number of uh different companies yeah it's uh, like amc it's no amc blackberry it's rocket yeah, mortgage it's cost headphones it's, yeah the yeah, tanger mortgage i think is the newest entry into but this. i think it's and, and you mentioned this earlier in the interview this exact point but i think it is worth mentioning something we didn't talk about earlier about that which is that none of those have really stuck around amc is kind of lingering around there but it's not that exciting it's only like I think $8 a share or something like that. It's not like GameStop in the hundreds. In my opinion, the GameStop 
situation is unique amongst and it is in a category separate from any of those other meme stocks you've seen discussed in the media where it is a perfect storm that has created the situations that retail traders on wall street bets identified and moved into positions to strategically punish short sellers of gamestop stock in order to make themselves a fabulous amount of money uh if a short squeeze happens uh that's a, a very sophisticated trading move and i think you're finally going to start to see the media recognize that this is not a mania that this was a very sophisticated trade executed by retail traders and ongoing and the conditions for that are just not present in any of these other stocks and th that same play can't be replicated and it won't ever be replicated again i don't think because i don't think any institutional uh investors are going to allow themselves to get caught in a position like that by retail traders going forward from here but i also believe that there is a a high likelihood that the traders who were the target of the uh of the retail traders on wall street bets are still very much in trouble and uh we may see them punished uh in their pocketbooks uh going forward that that's that's still a very live possibility and that this is this is not over but that situation doesn't exist in any of the other meme stocks and i believe they're all just sort of distractions that are probably actively promoted by uh institutions that have short positions in gamestop and stand to lose money there and are actively trying to draw retail capital into other meme stocks to soften the damage they're going to take on the GameStop trade. So I think, you know, the, the GameStop trade, I think, I think it would be fair to characterize it. Maybe you can, you can totally disagree with me if you want to, but I think you, we can fairly say that this was a disruptive moment in the market. Um, it it yes. definitely, in the sense that it kind of, it rocked the status quo um, pretty hard. And actually. it was, in, in so many ways, it's an event that has been unprecedented in stock market history. Uh, short squeezes haven't been unprecedented in, in stock market history, but this kind of sophisticated trade being executed as successfully as it is being executed by decentralized retail traders is truly historically unprecedented. So what is what is the disruptive mechanism? Is the dis is the disruptive mechanism is it this new accessibility? Disruption is a very sort of uh en vogue concept sure. uh especially in the investing world these days uh and i think there's no question that with the rising rate of technological advancement you're seeing more and more disruption happening faster and faster 
in the world today compared with you know the further back in history you go the the longer it takes for a new paradigm to get overturned but the technological advancements that we make over the historical timeline compound upon each other enabling us to make newer paradigm shifts and discoveries uh, faster and faster and this increases the the rate at which sort of disruptive events happen and the and the amount of disruption that is present in the development of of new technologies and how those technologies transform all of the different sectors of the economy so given the popularity of disruption it's worth noting that why is disruption so popular well when paradigms get overturned that creates a lot of volatility uh, and there's a lot of change and as anyone who has studied the the best traders and the and the history of the stock market can tell you volatility while it can increase risk it also presents for those people who make profitable trades you know, fortunes can be made and lost at, at a much bigger scale in environments of increased volatility. Uh, volatility provides opportunities to make very, very profitable investments. But it's it's worth noting that just as disruption with the rate of technology going the way it is, uh, it it's hitting every sector in the economy. Disruption also has come and is is currently reshaping the markets and the 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 whole trading sector of the economy as well and i feel like that that sorry to cut you off but i feel like that's coming through the accessibility question that's 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 the place where it's happening it's happening because you have increased accessibility with commission-free trading uh on your phone it's in your pocket you can start trading on the stock market for like 20 bucks even less you can start trading yeah. you can fractional, fractional trading shares. has become a thing and so exactly. this has this has given uh, avenues of participation to retail traders that have at levels that have never existed before and there should be no surprise that that is going to change the game in ways that break old models and it should also be you know, it's it's not just the increased access, but it's the increased access of a legion of retail traders that also have access to 21st century communication technology and social media in which they can instantly and freely share ideas and information that is relevant to their opinions about when and how to trade. Uh at levels that have never been before seen in history. And that gives them weapons in their, in their marketplace battles uh, for, you know, to win the profits that they just didn't have before. And that's going to change the game. And we're going to see things that happen in the market as a result of these disruptions coming through the stock market itself too. And with the rise of things uh, coming down the pipe, like decentralized finance, where we're going to, there's going to be alternative investment paradigms where there's no central authority, but just 
algorithms that have a set of rules that automatically and guaranteed make everybody play by the same rules whether they like it or not uh which is not a condition that currently exists in today's investing marketplace as i think some of the events related to the gamestop saga have you know put a spotlight on so it's also it's not just accessibility in the sense of being accessibility to the market it's also accessibility to the information that's that helps right you navigate the market that's exactly right and you have and then you all have of a sudden, kind of filtration systems sorry but you have ways like on reddit things get voted to the top the best ideas get voted up to the top of reddit in theory yeah so, so I, there's well, ways to, there's even ways like on youtube and reddit where it'll help you disseminate what's a good idea from a bad idea and yeah it's increasingly becoming more and more sophisticated and again, it, it's worth mentioning while you're talking about that, that all sounds very exciting. It's also worth mentioning that there's a lot of terrible information sure. out there on the internet too. And like, just because you encounter some information that doesn't on the internet, that doesn't make it likely to be true. And more than ever today, it's important to arm yourself with a, a solid foundation and critical thinking education so that you can sort through the ever increasing amount of bullshit <laughs> information that's present in today's media landscape uh, and inoculate yourself against that. But it's also true that if you can do so, this enormous body of information, uh, there's ever more sophisticated ways of picking out the gems and, and separating the wheat from the chaff. Uh, and that's, you know, the tools for doing that are becoming more and more sophisticated and more and more accessible to more and more people. And that's gonna change the way things work and the patterns of how things happen as you go forward. So uh, that's gonna maybe upset a lot of people that, you know, have been playing a a 20th century game for a long time and that's you know what they're really good at and you know don't necessarily stand to be in a better position by these changes happening but as always the law of the jungle you gotta adapt or die and if if the conditions change uh in the market or anywhere else if you can't succeed in those conditions well then others will and that's always been a part of life as well as a part of investing and trading and many, many other uh, contexts to which that sort of evolutionary model applies. How do you think retail investing is going to evolve now in the next, let's say, just five to 10 years? Do you think it would be safe to say that the retail investor maybe has a little more power in the market than they used to? Maybe the dumb money isn't going to be as dumb anymore. I, I think that one of the sort of really interesting and uh, notable things about this GameStop trade that's been going on is that it has shown that retail traders are not idiots and can in fact recognize 
some very, you know, uh, interesting and and obscure opportunities uh, to profit on certain transient market conditions uh, that require incredibly sophisticated analysis to to recognize and appropriately strategize to to take advantage of uh and i think that the suggestion that retail traders could have done something like this if you if you were to say something like that 10 or 20 years ago like wall street would have laughed at you if you told them that some you know average just guys and gals out in the general public were gonna bleed some wall street hedge funds that were in a a big short position for billions of dollars they would have laughed at your face and said that's never going to happen uh and that's one of the reasons i think that this is such a uh historically interesting event is how it is shown that what retail traders in the 21st century can be capable of uh and you know obviously uh how this plays out won't entirely be up to the retail trader. And while they might have a a more outsized influence than they have had historically, uh, they're probably, you know, still, uh, it's still kind of a David versus Goliath story in any time you have retail investors on another side of a trade from Wall Street institutions. those guys have a lot of capital to invest and a lot of sophisticated tools for understanding the market and and achieving their their goals uh so the retail investors should probably not get too cocky but uh it maybe neither should wall street institutions these days <laughs> people are talking about s- stocks right now the the way that people normally talk about sports that's sort of the way i see it like when i walk into work now my colleagues are like oh did you guys see what happened to cardano today or you know did you watch that apple stock like uh or they're talking about the games the GameStop trade almost like they talk about like a sports team um and people are whipping out their phones and like showing their portfolios and and uh, I've I've never seen anything like that before. Um, well, and to me, that's something that is completely unprecedented. <laughs> it's like the stock market as a very viable form of entertainment. Obviously, the comments that I've just made over the past few minutes uh, would suggest that. Uh, we should expect going forward a influx of interest and participation in markets by retail traders, just by the nature of the sort of technological disruptions that provide those traders access to markets. But it is also worth considering an alternative view and one that is maybe a little more of a potential warning, which is that it is not the case that there have never been periods in history where you've had a massive surge in retail investment 
and interest among ordinary, usually non-investors getting involved in marketplaces. That is not unique. It's not unique. And the bad news is, is that the times in history that that happened usually are right before there are big corrections or even crashes in markets. Uh, But see, now we're in a situation where we have this kind of entry into the market like this. But unlike the past, people have direct access to the market and they have it in their pocket. That's true. But considering the alternative view here, Mike, it's... Perhaps you've you've heard the uh, the shoe shine boy indicator, uh, the the yeah. a famous anecdote about John F. Kennedy's father, who was I think a, a Wall Street banker, Joseph Kennedy. He was Senior. on on his way to work one day, and the stopped to get his shoe shine on the street, and the shoe shine boy was like, "Hey, let me give you a tip. You should you should buy stock in Hindenburg," and the Joseph Kennedy then went on to his office and proceeded to close out all of his positions in the market and sell all of his stock. And about a week later, the the great crash of 1929 took place. And he, in subsequent interviews, said, you know, when the when the shoeshine boy on the street is giving you stock tips, like you're at the top, (laughs) it's time (laughs) to get out. And it's worth pointing out that there's generally a pattern in which, you know, the stocks can't, stonks can't only go up forever, right? Because the stocks continuing to rise and continuing means that there's more buying. And eventually you hit a point where if everyone is talking about buying into stocks and everybody's buying into stocks, then there's nobody left that can buy into stocks after that and the market is saturated and and this is actually related to the smart money dumb money dichotomy that's you know it's often they get criticized for pointing out the or calling retail traders dumb money but what they're the reason they do that is because it's part of describing this pattern in which institutional investors get involved in the particular bull market situation and as it goes forward it become people see other people making money and they jump in and they buy and the price keeps going up until once everybody's bought in though there's nobody to buy in after that and at that point the smart money then exits the market and <laughs> All these new guys that just came in, hey, everybody's making money, making money, and then the market falls out underneath them. And in a in a classic pattern, the dumb money, the retail traders that just got excited about investing and rode in on this huge popular wave get wrecked because then the market corrects. And I think you're actually just starting to see the beginning of that kind of movement in the market now. So I'm not advising anybody about what they ought to do with their investments. They, you know, you need to do your own research, but it's worth considering both uh, sort of opinions or directions that the market might be heading in and the, the different cases for each of those. And it's not unreasonable to think that a 
widespread interest in the market by retail traders, even in a situation where that's sort of amplified by technologies that increase access. That may still be an existence of a pattern that may repeat itself once again. And we are certainly have been in a very bullish market since the the dip last March due to the oncoming pandemic. But the market has recovered from that to levels that it was at pre-pandemic and soared even higher. And somewhere there will be a limit to that upward movement. It might not be right now. It might be down the road sometime. Typically trying to exactly time these things is next to impossible. But you can bet your bottom dollar that someday it will correct. I'd also just like to say one other thing with respect to the GameStop situation. And that's that if indeed the price of GameStop begins to rise dramatically going forward, it's going to tempt a lot of people to jump on board thinking that they're going to make a quick and easy buck on this. And I would urge people who are not, you know, haven't looked at this in great detail and understand that there's sophisticated strategizing in ways that you wouldn't normally approach a regular trade. I truly believe that this is a unique trade among any other typical investment situations. And if you're jumping in to try to make a quick buck, but you don't understand what's going on, you're likely to end up getting wrecked. And you're, you may indeed also mess things up for other people trying to affect a sophisticated trade. So I, I plead with, with listeners who may be excited about that, if that happens in the future, to not jump into it out of excitement or mania if if you're interested in trading that please study up on what's going on with that and make your decisions from an informed perspective and not based on pure excitement and emotion because you see a rapidly moving price in a stock so that that is the thought i'd like to leave our listeners with today say no to fomo say say no to fomo and and do your own due diligence do the research and understand what you are investing your money into and have a plan justin you are always full of fascinating ideas and fascinating information it's truly remarkable that you have <laughs> you have been following this this story i'm so happy you've been following it with laser like focus and and i insist that you come back on again and do a third episode with me and we can talk about this so be it justin thank you so much um, the pleasure is mine everyone you've been listening to interview time mm-hmm.